This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. All right, it is Wellness Wednesday, and I am really, really excited to have her back, and I'm glad she keeps coming back. She is, of course, a speaker, a performance coach, and a number one best-selling author. She's got a bunch of books on relationships, et cetera, and an ordained minister, and did I mention a psychologist? Let me welcome the one and only, the great Dr. Robin L. Smith. Thank you, my sister Karen. How are you? Good. Good to see you. Don is here again. Don Calloway, my partner in power this Wellness yeah. Wednesday. Uh, I don't know where I'm going to start here because we were talking about vaccines before you came in and there's still resistance, uh, people going back and forth. Folks are convinced and then they get, you know, they go down some rabbit hole and tell you, you know, all you need to do is drink water, zinc and, and, you know, vitamin C, vitamin D. And that's just as good as a vaccine, you know? Uh, and I get it again, culturally black folk in particular skeptical about the, the, the public health system in this country. It has betrayed us on more than one occasion. And now we have this rush through the vaccine, three of them now a fourth coming. We just had the Howard, uh, Dean of, of the Howard hospital here to talk about the fourth trial that they're going through with another company and folks are skeptical and nervous. What do you say to them, Dr. Robin? You know, what, it reminds me of is the way that anything that we didn't have access to before, and then someone is excited to like offer us a seat at the table. We are not only skeptical, but wonder what must be wrong, whether or not we are, you know, being experimented on, not just the Tuskegee study, which, you know, many of us know about, some still don't, uh, but Karen, you may be aware of what was called the uh, Mississippi ap- appendectomy. And, and I hope I have the right state, um, but I will tell you the story. It was Fannie, Fannie Lou Hammer who said, uh, who was a young woman, um, you know, an activist. We know who she is. Again, if not, let's check our, our history because we all need to know who she is. But she was a young woman, a young married woman who was told that she had a tumor that needed to be removed. And so she went to have this tumor removed and came out sterile from having been given an unwarranted, unneeded, and unconsented hysterectomy. She was never able to have children of her own. And so we don't, and that was being done to women in the South, in particular, Black women in the South who were fertile who wanted to have families, who were you know, married and partnered and all of a sudden were written off. And so I mentioned that because there is, even if people do not know that story or they do not know about the Tuskegee uh, study where you know, we were used as guinea pigs, um, the men there. And I wanna say something about the Tuskegee study because what was promised to those black men was a proper, honorable burial. Not money, not fame, but when you die of hopefully natural causes, we will pay for you to be buried properly with a headstone. So whether we know that we have been used and exploited and misused, in our DNA, 
Black people understand that often when someone invites us to the party, particularly a party that we've been excluded from, maybe there is something wrong. Mm. And so what I first want to do is honor our skepticism. I'm not shaming or blaming us as a people for wondering if something is up with the offer, if there is something off with the invitation for a vaccination. So I get it. But the reality is that everyone, and I don't mean every human being, but this is not something that has only been offered to us. It is not only something that we are taking. People, white people and all other colors are have already signed up. They've already taken it. So whether and in or fact, not- and In fact, some are even coming into our neighborhoods, you know, well, jumping I, that's, up. That's where I was going. I'm here in Philly just to remind um, our, our tribe here. Um, it's raining, you know, uh, heavy rain right now. And about a month ago, maybe six weeks ago, we had snow and there was a line. There's the uh, Black Doctors, Black Physicians Alliance, who is headed up, if you have not had her on your show, Dr. Ayla Stanford. She is a serious, serious physician who is in charge of uh, bringing the vaccination, uh, the vaccine to particularly to Black and brown communities here in Philadelphia. What she had happen is there were people coming from outside, pretending to be in that community, uh, whether they were you know, black or white or brown or yellow, but they were signing up trying to get in on the party. So for sure, what we know is that this is something that people with means are trying to to take because they believe it will help them live their best lives. And so I would just suggest that people talk to their physicians about their concerns, about their worries, but not to miss out on the first step in being able to re-enter our lives. Well, you know, people talk about uh, genetic trauma being passed down we have substantial genetic memory and you know and i think that's why people say tuskegee and they might not even know that they're invoking these really dark times that are in their genetic memory that we carry around you're talking about the mississippi um hysterectomy project absolutely was a real thing not only in mississippi but throughout the south as Fannie Lou Hamer could attest to. But there is a real history of eugenics, the study of genetically modifying human races. And that usually happens at the exclusion of those who are considered lesser than. So we have the unification, the, uh, the, the, the chemical castration of black males like Dr. George Washington Carver. You have the hysterectomy project. You have forced lobotomies throughout black America and this is a very real thing, whether we know the stories or we're not, you carry that generational weight. And I was, I, I have read up on some of your work. You're brilliant. Congratulations on a wonderful career. But you brought up a phrase, and I've seen you write about it and heard some interviews that I had never heard before um, learning from you. And you talked about being emotionally hungry and emotionally anorexic. Can, yeah. you, can you break that down for the fam? Yeah, I can. Absolutely. And just so we're also clear, people are going to look up 
the Mississippi. It's not looking up Mississippi history. Right, right. that is not one thing. That, yes. Yeah, no, it's I love that. It's looking up Mississippi appendectomies. Appendectomies, forgive went me. went in for my appendix. Yes. And, left, and, and they out, took my whole uterus. Absolutely. Yes. Came out sterile. So I just want people to look up what the lie was yes. um, that, that trapped and took our life force. I mean, when we are fertile, whether it is the castration of Black men or the sterilization of Black women, what does it do? It stops the life flow. And that has been the agenda, uh, you know, for, for hundreds of years. Um, let me talk about, and thank you for asking me, first of all, thank you for that acknowledgement, that warm acknowledgement. Uh, let me talk about what it means to be emotionally hungry and specifically emotional anorexia. It's when we eat crumbs and call it a meal. Mm. It is when we are connected in relationships, whether it is at work or at home with our family, our lover, and we say, I'm satisfied, mm. but we're actually um, starving for real food. And so a part of uh, what has happened to us, particularly as Black people, I don't care who you are and what you have or what you think you have, if you were walking in uh, a Black body, a Black, you know, Black body and Black heritage, there is a sense of hunger, a sense of having been starved on the vine. So we're, we're confused about our worth and our value when you are dehumanized and yet you are told that you were, uh, that all people, men, but all people were created equal. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a mind game. And so part of our hunger is the confusion around identity. Who am I? Who am I really? And so there's something I call the hungry litany and I don't have it in front of me or I would read it to you, but I encourage all of us who are here and listening and watching to write a story, maybe, you know, three lines or 10 lines that says I'm hungry for, and I can remember some of what I wrote. I'm hungry for a partner that doesn't feel like a predator. Mm. I'm hungry for, uh, you know, my bright light to shine so that I don't have to dim my light for somebody else to feel big or worthy. And so I think as Black people, we need to think about, instead of I'm good, I've got this, it's really owning, I feel I'm starving to feel good enough. I'm starving mm -hmm. to feel intact when I'm assaulted on the left and on the right. And so I feel that emotional anorexia, you know, we think about anorexia, people who are anorexic starving themselves. And I, I wanna make something clear, eating disorders are a serious thing. Women have them, men have them, kids have them, adults have them. But what's interesting is eating disorders underneath are about power. They are about trying to have power when our power has been taken away, trying to claim power when we've been rendered powerless. And so anorexia, emotional anorexia, 
is a dialogue that we're having about how, how do I claim my bigness when people are trying to keep me down? Mm. Take up space, sis. Yeah, I mean, right, yes. Yes. Six six eight zero one eight two five five. Uh, I've suffered from delusion my whole life, I guess, because I always thought I was worthy and valuable, even when I might not have been. And, you know, part of that probably can propel you. But is that rational to, well, you know, you, is that rational? Karen, that's interesting. You say that you made that maybe you've suffered from delusion. But what I would say is that if you had a sense from the beginning, for whatever reason, that you were worthy and entitled, what I would imagine is if you didn't feel hungry for worthiness, you felt hungry for connection with people who could see you like you saw yourself. Mm. Facts. So it doesn't mean you weren't hungry and it does not mean you didn't have emotional anorexia. You just didn't have it with the same, in the same corner that I was in, but you had it. Listen, I, I love to hear expertise. I love to hear preachers preach. So I'm gonna just be quiet the rest of this. Go it's, ahead. Quiet. So, quiet. Yeah, we're so so Dr. Robin, writing it down, you know, Habakkuk says make it plain on paper, right? Is that yeah. is that part of the process of acknowledgement? Is that part of the process of healing to write those sentences down about what you're and and I feel like people don't have these honest conversations with themselves because you're right. Yeah. We have, we've been conditioned to suck it up, suck it up, buttercup. You know, we're good. I got this. I got this is a constant refrain in our community. Yeah. I got this because the not got this denotes weakness. And it also, you know, if, if you have to acknowledge that, then somehow that house of cars will come tumbling down and people got to keep that up. Right. Or so we think, can you go get my hungry for me, please? Thank you. <laughs> she, um, she got yes, people. So, Dr. Robin's got people that can go get her hungry. Well, I, <laughs> I, I, better, I better have some help. That, that's, isn't that what we're talking about? That if I acted as if I've got this because I ate the message, which is a lie, that I'm supposed to somehow have it together without support. See, Having support is an issue of worthiness. Like, you know, I'm thinking about something when I, years ago, I remember someone telling me they had to go to family court about a, you know, you don't go to family court when things are good, you go when there's a struggle. Yeah. And so they were going around custody and they said, oh, I'm gonna go by myself. And I said, well, no, I asked who's gonna go with you. And they said, I'm going alone, you know, I, I can do this. And I said, I'm sure you can, but why would you? Mm. See, a part of worthiness is, yeah, I could do it alone, but if I'm worthy and I want more ease in my life, why would I do something that makes the lifting heavier when I could share it? And so mm. that a piece of this is if I really feel worthy and if I feel strong, then part of what I do is I let people help me. See, it's, it's a lie that we don't need help. It's also a part of, I believe, our divine birthright mm. to have access to support, access to information, access to, again, as a people, we know how to do it the hard way. My challenge right now is can you break that shackle? 
and allow yourself to create a new, and I'm gonna talk about a new neuropathway. What's that mean? It means our brains are hardwired for what we know to be familiar. So mm. as a people, our brains have been hardwired for hardship, for harshness. So we need to create a new pathway I didn't say a super highway, not yet, but a new small little path that says, I deserve to have help and support. And all of those messages that say, that tell us that strong people lift by themselves. If you look at anyone who has accomplished anything those people all are surrounded by other people who are committed to the elevation of that person or that message. And so it is, and that's kind of the secret, you know, like with college and education, we make it seem like only smart people get through college. Well, we know that's not true. Who gets through college are people who go and keep going and keep going until they pass that class, find a tutor, partner with the right set of friends. It doesn't, but, but the secret is making people, particularly black and brown people feel that you have to have the secret sauce to mm. be elevated. That's a lie. It's so we, a lie. We don't want people to know that you don't have to be a genius and you don't have to be white and you don't have to be rich. You just have to show up for active duty in your own life and make sure that you are surrounding yourself with people who are invested in your elevation. Community. We need, we need a team. We need healthy, a community. Healthy community. Healthy mm. community. Yeah, not just community because there are a lot of people who are not happy to see you, Karen, or Don, or me doing what we do. So it's not just community and it is not just family. I have to be around family who wants to see me shine. But it's important that those people who might not be happy to see you doing your thing, it's important to recognize that that's about them, right? Not about you. It is about them and it is about where they are broken because yes. you know, I believe that what we see even on the streets here in major cities like Philly and New York, Chicago, and people are saying, oh, they, you know, these black men, black boys, because often to me who, you know, some of these crimes are not happening by black men, they are happening by, uh, with black boys. But what I believe is that if those boys and men had access to the better life. You're going to tell me that the street life, that hard life is what they choose. But if their ability to cut drugs properly, which is a math skill, by the way, people don't understand that. I mean, I've talked to people who are selling drugs and I said, oh, you're good with math. They said, what? I failed math. I said, not if you're cutting those drugs and, and your life is protected because you don't make a mistake. That's math. That's precision. 
And so if they understood, and if someone was invested, that that level of precision on the streets cutting drugs could be applied in a chemistry lab, you're gonna tell me that that person would not choose if they had someone invested in them being a chemist for one of the pharmaceutical companies that are rolling out a vaccine? Of course they would. It's, and that skill set is applicable across so many different avenues. I mean, that's supply chain distribution, it's sales and marketing, it's logistics, yeah. it's math, it's it's engineering, it's manufacturing. Yes, it um, and there are spaces in which people are thriving in any one of those if we decide to create a neurodivergent path about who we elevate and what skill sets we elevate, right? That's right. And, and affirming... Yes. That, that the person who has that skill set, if they were placed and nurtured, because you can't just take them off the street and put them in college or in a lab without support and um, education around what the product is and to show them that they already are doing the job, they just need the skills. It's talent and even genius skills. is everywhere, but opportunity is not, right? Absolutely. But again, the, 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 the lie is that genius only lives in a certain place and with mm -hmm. certain people. Uh, and so we've got to dismantle that. Karen, I also want to go back to the question that you were asking about writing it down and making it plain. Uh, you know, what does that do uh, for anyone? And I, you know, I practice writing things down. I practice journaling. I, I use that so that I can see myself. You know, I want to remind us that what therapy really is at its best is it's overhearing the conversation in a safe environment that you've been having with yourself all your life but it wasn't safe enough to listen in to this conversation. So that's what therapy is. It allows us to overhear our own inner conversation. That's what journaling does, allows us to overhear and as you were asking, and to own what our truth is. So talking about the Bible and the New Testament, there's a story where Jesus is asking the blind man um, he says to blind Bartimaeus, and he says, you know, what is it that you want? And I love this. Um, I often will use this at weddings. And people are like, what is she talking about? I mean, at a wedding, this is not the wedding story. And so the blind man, and I imagine the disciples and all the people around Jesus wondered, what in the world? I mean, of course, he wants his sight. Why would you ask the blind man, what do you want? Maybe because it is important that I can own what I want, that mm. I can articulate, I want my sight. I want my child free of drugs. I want to get rid of the bitterness that's been living in me for the last 25 years. So it's not that God or your higher power or Allah does not know what you need. The question is, do you know mm. what you need? You know, are you able to articulate it? Dr. Robin Smith is here. Uh, you can follow her at DR 
Robin L. Smith on the Twitters and go to drrobinsmith.com to see all of the amazing books and works that she has uh, produced. I, I suspect, Dr. Smith, that most of us are living, you know, in such a frenzy that we don't take time to even know what we want. I had this conversation with someone in their 70s. And uh, they had never considered what they actually wanted because they'd been in a marriage for 40 plus years, you know, and it was what the husband wanted was what they did from the kind of car that was driven to the furniture that was picked out. It was what the husband wanted. And when he passed away, she didn't know what she actually liked and what she actually wanted. And when she was asked, she couldn't really answer because it was never asked. Well, what do you want? So that, that question is so powerful that we ask of ourselves, but what happens if you don't know, because you've never considered what, how do you, you know, how do you know what you want, Dr. Robin, when you've never known what you've wanted? Yeah. Well, what you're saying is how do you make room for yourself when you've been squeezed out by all the other selves that were in your life and in your space? How do you become a self? You know, I say giving birth to the self. And a part of that would be even to write down, I don't know what I want, but I'm curious about what I want. I've always wanted what my mother wanted or my father wanted, or, you know, the, the, my neighbors wanted. So I don't know what I want. I think about the movie, The Runaway Bride with uh, Julia Roberts and uh, Richard Gere. And there's a, a theme in that movie that she is uh, engaged multiple times and each man she's engaged to, they ask, what's your favorite, um, what kind of eggs do you like? And so she likes the eggs. Well, it's scrambled with, you know, Ralph and it's uh, poached with Joe and, you know, with Josiah, it is over easy because she had no sense about what she liked herself. And so not until she things fell apart in that movie, did she experiment with the eggs and she learned that she didn't like any of the eggs except for one that was not even known to her. And I think that this woman you're talking about, I remember Karen meeting uh, and knowing a woman, I was walking on the street with my mother here in Philadelphia. And we learned that this woman's husband, they had been married for 70 years. Wow. And my mother said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear. And I said, I am too. And she said, oh, don't feel bad for me. She said, this is the first time in my life. And I don't know how much time I have left but it's the first time in my life that I didn't have to think about anyone except me. Mm. I don't know what I like. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I do know whatever I'm going to do, it's going to be all about me. And so I think for women and men, there are many men as well who really struggle to know not what does someone else want for me, but what would satisfy my own soul. And we're also afraid because people will say, well, what if I find out I want something I can't have? I said, well, what if you do find out that you want something or someone that you cannot have? What does that mean? And 
well, I'll be sad. And I said, well, you may be sad, but you'll be alive as opposed to this kind of walking dead on automatic pilot. And so I think in this moment, what we're really inviting people to do is to wake up and to show up and to grow up and to rise up. I mean, that's my equation for how I work through things, how I coach people through things to wake up, to show up for active duty, to grow up and to rise up. You can't rise up if you haven't done those other stages. When we come back, uh, we're going to take calls. A lot of people want to talk to you, of course, Dr. Robin. And I also want to talk a little bit about grief. We had a, a, uh, seems like, and I didn't realize that 2020, we actually had a 50% rise in mass shootings over 2019. Uh, But we've now, you know, full four, seven days, seven mass shootings, uh, 10 people in the last one uh, lost their lives senselessly. And uh, as people grieve, as we lose people, especially during this pandemic, when, you know, it's not so easy to mourn because, you know, there's so many protocols in place about gatherings and the ways in which we send people uh, off uh, in our community. We can't do it anymore. Not that way. How do we handle loss? And, you know, I've had this ongoing discussion with my mother because when my dad passed, um, they they lost his tombstone. So he bought his burial plot like 20 years before because he thought he was going to die at 50. Uh, but several of his relatives died before he did, and he already had the plot and everything. So it was already paid for. So his sisters and every So they lost the tombstone. And I said to my mother, you know, I'm going to get a tombstone for him, but I'm probably never going to the cemetery. I'm not that person. I know he's not at the cemetery. The cemetery's for us, not for them. Those souls are gone. They're, they're on the other you know, side. They're on the other side watching over. I'm not going to bring flowers. I'll do it because, you know, someday somebody will go into the cemetery and see my father's tombstone. But I'm not in a rush to do that because I'm not going to, the, to there. But for a lot of people that tombstone and going to that cemetery is everything it's closure and they go every you know i'm not disparaging but i want to talk through what that that means and how we grieve dr robin l smith is here on this wellness wednesday don calloway is here as well dropping so much goodness let me say thank you to both of you actually thank you thank you um grief before i go to the calls uh the I know there's no one way to handle anything. We're all individuals and uh, wired differently. But what advice would you give to someone who has suffered a loss? Yeah, I actually just this past weekend did a, I hosted an event called Good Grief. And one might ask, um, Dr. Robin, is there anything good about grief? Well, we don't choose often our grief. Our grief chooses us. The losses choose us. The deaths choose us. The question is whether or not we can get anything good out of it so that it becomes uh, redeemed in many ways. Um, Something that makes me better. So maybe for some people, and there were some very powerful, courageous people who showed up for this online event, Um, who shared about their losses. Some of the losses were deaths, some were vocational losses, some were the loss of identity. Like, who am I? Uh, And 
you know, what does it feel like to lose yourself and then to go look for yourself, to be lost in many ways. So I think uh, one of the things I would, that the, the bottom line is to be compassionate to yourself right where you are. So often when people are in um, a, a really tough space like we are right now and people are hard on themselves, they criticize themselves. They say like, why am I still so sad? Why don't I have energy? Why instead of uh, blessing the ache and the suffering and the pain. And so there is something about being judgmental and unkind to yourself that is destructive in the grieving process. I'm actually, after I finish with you this evening, have the privilege of being with a very large group of widows who all lost their husbands from COVID. And um, many of them have young children. Uh, some of their babies will never know the fathers because they died before their, um, their child was born. And so the question is, what will I say uh, to this group of widows who are having to navigate life in a way they simply could not have imagined, not only parenting children alone, but losing their partner, losing their friend, losing their spouse, often losing an income. And a part of this goes back to what I said earlier, the survival of grief and heartache is to surround ourselves with the right people. And so this group of, of widows have come together. They are in a group which they wouldn't hope that anyone would be in, but they can't choose that. What they are choosing is how to feed themselves. And I mean, spiritually and emotionally and financially, how to surround themselves with other women who are on the front line of grief, people who won't judge them. And that's really what we need. We need someone who will not judge our path, who will not judge our tears, who will not judge our fears, but who makes room for the tough place that we find ourselves. Awesome, let's, let's head over to the phones. People have been holding on, they wanna to talk to you. So let's do that. Massachusetts, let's welcome in Bianca. You're on with Dr. Robin. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Thank you so much, Karen and Dr. Smith. I'm just like resonating so deeply with this conversation. I'm a 38-year-old single mom, and I'm also juggling an amazing career. So just saying that sometimes overwhelms me, and I've just really been trying to put into practice a lot of what you've been saying, and it's been my saving grace. I just find it hard because of my um, schedule to be consistent with it until I'm like almost burning out. And then I'm like, okay, let me go back to what I was doing. But I just wanted to call and say, thank you so much for this conversation. It just really stresses the importance as a mom to just withdraw and practice the self-care, especially during these times. Yeah, thank you, Bianca. And you know, your, your courage and your wisdom as you were parenting, is she still with us, Karen? Yes, yeah. Bianca, I, uh, your, your courage and your, your wisdom, let me say this, look, we all try and we all fall off, you know, the, the, the wagon or the train or the bus, whatever we're on. 
And the challenge is to not beat yourself up when you lose sight of yourself, but to just recognize, oh, I forgot about me. And to parent, the best way you can parent, given your exciting career and your involvement with your child, is to fuel your own tank. How old is your, is it one child? And how old are your children or your child? Oh, I laugh. I say I have a soccer team. I have four beautiful children, okay. um, 16, 11, 8, and 2. And I also just wanted to comment that I had the pleasure of meeting Karen before the whole COVID situation in February. And I said to her, you know, Karen, what do you suggest that I do? And she said to me, raise your children. And I was looking for something more of a gem. But I sat on that over this past year. And I've come off all of my committees and just really invested time into my kids and just noticed things that I don't think if the pandemic didn't happen, I wouldn't have picked up one. So thank you, Karen, for dropping that um, before I even know I needed it. But again, just this conversation was everything. That's beautiful. That's, uh, that's beautiful, Karen. And you know, I think about when you said raise your children and I might just add, that to raise our children, we must raise ourselves. ourselves. Mm. Yeah. And so before I can raise my children and do justice to my children, I must raise myself. When I was a child, I thought as a child and I acted as a child and I behaved as a child. When I became an adult, I put away childish things. But it's interesting for those that don't know that's in the New Testament. It says I put away which means there's some work in putting away childish things. I mean, all of us can regress and behave like children. And so a piece of uh, empowering our children is to do our own work. It is to do our own work. It is to face the things in me that I don't really want to see that I'm going to burden my children with unless I do my if I remember Bianca's story, she was doing a lot of things, you know, side hustles, you know, work, et cetera. And I feel like a lot of times people feel like they have to do these amazing things to validate their existence here on earth, right? Like I have to, you know, have this fabulous career and all of these things, you know, to inspire my children. But all they need is you and your time and your attention and to validate their existence. And creating beautiful human beings, you know, mm -hmm. is a job to me in and of itself worthy of all of the accolades, right? So I think a lot of times we look outward for like, you know, oh, I'm a writer, I'm a this, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor. Just being a good parent to me is is one of the most thankless and mo one of the most important jobs on this earth. And if you've been blessed to have children, that's, you know, that's your legacy. That's everything. So that that's kind of the genesis of that advice. No, no. I mean, I, it's beautiful. And again, to do what you just said, I must take care of me. I've got to take care of that stuff that those messages um, that I've inherited that I will pass on to them. You know, I think about wills, the last will and testament. And it's important to have a will. Often too many black people don't have wills. We think if we don't have any money that we don't need a will. 
Um, you need a will no matter what you have or don't have, but we also need to look at what is the emotional will we are leaving our children. If I haven't learned how to deal with conflict, if I haven't learned you know, how to resolve my bitterness, if I haven't learned how to find my voice, all of that will be left to my children and they will inherit the very thing that may have stopped me. So I also welcome and really encourage us to think about what is the emotional will that you are leaving your children, not just financial and, and spiritual, but emotionally, what are you leaving them? Dr. Robin is here, uh, Don Calloway as well. Dr. Robin Smith, what's the, what's the story of that wishbone? Ah, yeah, there's, you know, um, I wish I could make it, you know, make it something more than what it is, but it is a piece of jewelry um, that was given to me by my mother. So that part is important, but what is probably most important about it, and I write about this in Hungary, is that in 2010, within a four month window of time, uh, my I was in a very serious car accident in February of 2010 in April, my daughter dog, who was a Portuguese water dog, but a, a, a real partner to me as I recovered emotionally from some stuff that had happened early in my life, which I'm happy to share at some point, but that happened in April that Callie died. And three month, three weeks later, my home was burglarized and every piece of jewelry that I own, except for what I was wearing, I was doing the Today Show and I had gone up to New York to do a taping and there's a whole story about how it happened, how I was covered and spared. Um, I came to my front door and three times to come inside. I was driving a loaner car and I kept saying, oh, I'm turning the loaner in. I need to go back to the store because I'm not going to have a car for a while. And the person that was stealing from me, I don't know who it was, was inside the house the first two times I drove to my front door. The third time I came in, um, my house is alarmed um, like a fortress, but even more so now. And went to my into my bedroom and saw that the cabinets were open and i thought oh man i'm in so much grief from the accident and from callie's death i've left the cabinets open which is not something that i would have done and saw that everything i owned in terms of jewelry was gone and uh, the reason that's an important story and then six weeks after that the whole bottom of my home flooded and I am still standing. Uh, but I tell you that because about a year after all of that happened, I was at the doctor for a visit and I had a bracelet on. So not the wishbone, but a bracelet that had been a nothing bracelet, something I was going to give to my, my niece, my little great niece. And the, re the receptionist said, oh, I love your bracelet. And I said, oh, thank you. And she started reading. And I looked at her like, what is she reading? And she said, J-U-S-T-B. And I then looked down, had been wearing it for a year and did not know that the instructions for my life had been around my wrist. What the bracelet said was just be still. 
And so what I want to remind us of is that even when the bottom falls out, if we are open and listening, God, the universe, the power that is bigger than you and me will send instruction about how to survive the unsurvivable, uh, unsurvivable, how to overcome victoriously. And sometimes we are wearing our instructions. We are sitting in our instructions. We are surrounded by our instructions. And yet we're asking, what shall I do? Often it is right in front of us about how to take the next breath and step. So I answered more than you asked about the wishbone, but about that bracelet, yeah. Well, unfortunately Just we don't have any time, but fortunately you will be coming back. Uh, you're now part of this family and we are grateful Absolutely. to have you. Uh, Don Calloway, I wanna thank you too. Uh, what, your, your pencil behind your ear. <laughs> He's been taking notes the whole time. He's taking notes. Yes. No. And uh, Dr. Robin, do you have it? You you said you had a new book that you're working on, but it's not it's not done yet. It's not finished. It's this, not. Yeah. I'm, it's yeah. I'm I'm working on it. I'm okay. working on it. And and yeah. this the, the book where we're hungry and we're anorexic. Hungry? What's the key? Yeah, what's, hungry that yeah we're we're emotionally anorexic, emotional. right? Okay. That even though you just found out that you had something going on in your great worthiness, there was still some hunger for somebody who could see how big and worthy you are. We're gonna tweet out the links to all of the books and all yeah, of the ways in which- you... The Altar, The Truth About Great Marriages is the relationship book. I'm gonna be doing a big event this spring or summer about that, telling the truth so we can be free. Well, you'll be back before then, and we'll take Absolutely. we'll field relationship questions. Thank you, Dr. Robin L. Smith, Dr. Robin L. Smith on the Twitters, and of course, drrobinsmith.com. 